Lord, there is none like you. God, you are unchangeable, you are wonderful, you are amazing. Lord, the list could go on and on and on and on. And Lord, today as we come together, as we fellowship with one another, and now as we worship one another, with one another, as we just finish singing and as we listen to your word, Lord, allow us to see what you would have for us to see, know what you would want us to know, and change in ways that you would want us to change. And I pray all these things this morning as we come together to glorify your holy name and remember that you are God and you are God alone. And we praise and thank you for that and that we have the opportunity to praise and honor you, the creator of all, today together. And I thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe may be seated. All right, in just a few minutes, we're going to be turning to the book of 1 Thessalonians. So if you want to get there, we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Uh, we're going to be talking about, as you've seen on your, uh, your outline, uh, the return of Jesus. His return policy, if you will. And we're going to be looking at 1 Thessalonians 5. Uh, and we're going to look through verses 111 and 1 through 11 and 32 through 34. Uh, before we get there, you know, it's interesting. Uh, people ask me a lot, and uh, I don't always have a good answer because really, there's really no answer that's always the same. They ask me a lot, like, how do you decide what you're going to preach on? Like, what is it that you do? Do you have, like, a certain, have you planned everything out? Like, some pastors, they have, like, their sermons pe- planned out for, like, 10 years in advance. Like, so... Do I plan it out? How do I figure out what is it that God would want me to preach on? Well, I'll tell you this. There's really never a a for sure answer. Sometimes it's the weirdest thing. Sometimes it's something I've been thinking about for months. Sometimes it's something that comes into my head that God, I feel, just has brought to my mind. Uh, And sometimes it happens in strange ways that God kind of gets my attention and says, hey, this is something important that not only do you need to know, but you should probably teach others. And so one of those moments happened about... A week and a half ago or so, one of the, to be honest with you, one of the best investments our family has made of recent is we joined the Adventures in Odyssey Club. Now, you may like Adventures in Odyssey, maybe you don't. Some people obviously like it. Um, that's good. Uh, uh, Adventures in Odyssey is, when I was growing up, that was a big thing. Like, I loved Adventures in Odyssey. My wife loved it even more than me. She had the CDs and all that thing, all those things. And, and, and so we got into this club where you can download Adventures in Odyssey, and we started from the very beginning. And our kids are loving it just as much as we do, and it, it's really great for long road trips. And I don't, this isn't a commercial for Adventures in Odyssey, but I will say, we tried the TV thing, it didn't work. The kids were too loud to hear the the, the movies in the in the van. We've tried a lot of different things to keep them somewhat quiet so that we don't go insane on road trips. But I'll tell you, Adventures in Odyssey has been a, a, a just a wonderful thing. But anyway, that's besides the point. We, we were listening to Adventures in Odyssey, and they had this episode come on. I don't remember what the episode, what the title was, but the idea of this episode, and maybe some of you have heard this episode in the past, uh, was that there was a girl that was in Odyssey that started reading a book about from a guy who said that he knew when the return of Jesus was coming. He had planned it out that it was going to be on that Saturday. Didn't know exactly what time of the day, but on that Saturday, Jesus was going to return. And this girl, and it's, uh, her name is blanking right now, I don't remember, but this girl bought into this and said, yes, Jesus is coming on Saturday. He did this, like, this equation, and you do the math, and you figure out that Jesus is coming on Saturday. So all week long, she was actually hanging up posters 
and she was saying, hey, Jesus is coming back on Saturday. Make sure that you, you, you put it on your calendar, basically. And she's putting all these posters everywhere, and then she's, she camps out on Saturday. She puts a tent out in her backyard, and, and she is ready for Jesus to return on Saturday. And a couple of the other characters in Adventures in Odyssey are trying to tell her, look, this guy is, is kind of crazy. You, know, you shouldn't necessarily listen to him. He, he doesn't really know. But she's, she's not willing really to listen. Uh, throughout the episode then, Mr. Whitaker, of course, the one who is always the wisest of the wise, um, it, he tries to tell her about the fact that really we don't know for sure when Jesus is going to come back, but we know he will. And by the time the episode ends, she finally understands this concept that it's not so much about the specific day that Jesus comes back. She waits on Saturday. He doesn't come. And in the morning, after, after she had waited, in the morning, Mr. Whitaker comes to her and they're having this conversation. It was during this conversation at the very end of the Odyssey that, I, that God kind of just grabbed my attention. And, and like I said, he can use the strangest and the, the most interesting of things, even a kid's radio program, and the conversation that Mr. Whitaker and this girl had was this. Yes, he didn't come yesterday, but you had something right because you lived like he was coming yesterday, and all of us should be living like he could come today. And the idea was, obviously, that when she knew, that, when she knew in her mind that Jesus was coming on Saturday, her life completely changed. She lived in a way that was different. She was awaiting Jesus, and she was telling others about Jesus, and she was living a life that she knew Jesus would be honored by in those few days that she was waiting. And the idea then came, shouldn't we all live that way, even though we don't know the specific time? And uh, that was something that stuck with me for a while. It was about a week, and then I started prepping for a sermon. I actually had a whole different idea for where I thought I wanted to go and then God kept bringing this back up in my mind. And I, find myself, I found myself reading 1 Thessalonians. A uh, little bit of background in 1 Thessalonians really quickly. If you don't know, the Thessalonian church, they are obsessed, it almost seems like, in a sense, with the coming of Christ. They're, they're facing persecution and they're looking at their world and they're saying, surely Jesus has to be coming back soon. And so they've, they've, written, they've, asked, uh, they've asked to know what they should know about the coming of Christ. And actually, in each chapter in 1 Thessalonians, if you'll read it through, and I would encourage you to do that, in every chapter, at the end of the chapter, Paul makes some mention of the return of Christ. It's obvious that this whole book is pointing towards that, and he is reminding them of everything he's teaching them, but it always goes back to the return of Christ. So that's what this book is really all about. Is it's getting the Thessalonian believers to understand what they need to understand about the return of Christ and living in such a way that would honor that. So we get to chapter 5, and this is the end of the book, and Paul really wants to drive his point home. And so we're going we're gonna to stick here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 for a little while, and we'll read it in just a minute. Uh, but here's the thing about this return of Christ. See, the Thessalonians weren't the only church or the only people that wondered about when is Jesus coming back. Actually, it's been very interesting. As you look at church history, you see that from the very beginning of the church, people have been concerned about the return of Christ. It's been on the minds of Christians all around the world since the, really since the beginning of the church, as I said. And, and it seems to me that as you look through history and you think about even today, there are really two camps that people tend to fall in when it comes to the return of Christ. Uh, and by the way, today we're not talking about eschatology and all the different aspects of it, whether it's pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib, all that stuff. That's... That's for another time, another conversation. 
But what we do see here is I think there's two extremes. When we talk about the return of Christ, the, in general, the idea of Jesus coming back, which we all believe in, we have two extremes. We have those who obsess. We have those who obsess about the return of Christ. And I'll explain that in a second. And then you've also got the ones that will neglect the return of Christ. And my objective and my hope for today is that we will see that both of these extremes we need to be careful of and we need to come somewhere in the center where we realize that the return of Christ is very real and we need to understand that, but we're not called to obsess about the return itself. You see, the obsession that we've actually seen, we are consumed with figuring out everything we can about his return. You, that's why there's so many books that are written about the end times, about when Jesus is coming back. They're always the best sellers because that's what people seem to want to know. And I, as I looked into history a little bit, I, I found this very interesting. Uh, there have been, since about 400 AD, recorded, there's been about f- 153, 153 recorded predictions that people have made that, of when Jesus is coming back. Some of them were specific dates, some of them were months, some of them were just years, but there has been 153 predictions that people have made, this is just recorded, I'm sure there's been more, but 153 times that people have said, I've done the math or I figured it out, I looked at the Bible code or I've done something like this, and I know for sure that Jesus is coming back on such and such a day. And that has happened 153 times. The most recent of these, uh, many of you you might remember some of these, January 1st, 2000, Jesus was coming back because of Y2K. Uh, May 21st, 2011 was also one. Uh, October 21st, 2011. Then we, had, then we had the infamous, you know, when the, the Maya calendar was going to, in 2012, and December 21st, 2012. We had July 29th, 2016, and most recently, and maybe not heard of that much, was actually just a little bit ago, uh, May 13th, 2017. So... Just over a week ago, we, Jesus was supposed to return, and, and it didn't happen. And, and so we see that these things, you remember that a couple of these, by the way, were, if you remember his name, Harold Camping, he came out and he said, I figured this out, I know when Jesus is coming. Uh, oh, wait, I was wrong, uh, after, of course, the date went by. It's actually going to be a few months later. That's where we find the uh, May 21st, 2011, and the October 21st, 2011. Here's the interesting thing about Harold Camping. Before these two, we actually had four other ones. Um, yeah, so why people believed him the sixth time or fifth time and they, when the f- first four didn't work, I'm not sure. I'm not here to make fun of Harold Camping or these other people because honestly, as you look through these 153 predictions, some of these people actually are people that I would even say I respect their theology and respect some of their thoughts. But this is just to show that throughout history, people have been obsessed with figuring out everything they can learn about the return of Christ. And I think it's to the detriment of what Jesus really wants us to think about when we think about the return of him coming back. You see, I think this has done a great deal of damage to the reputation of Christians. I think that goes without saying. When you say Jesus is coming back on such and such a day, and we're going to go up on a hill and we're going to wait for him to come, when we say those type of things and then it doesn't happen, what do people from the outside look at us and they think, what are those crazy people doing? They keep saying that this is going to happen and it's not going to happen. And, and so, of course, it makes sense that to them, they're going to, every time they hear how they're going to believe Scripture if they can't believe what we say. And, and so that's, I think, it's doing a great disservice to Christians and to the church. And many of these people are, as some might say, crazy, but some of them aren't. Uh, it's people that really just want to understand and know more about the return of Christ. 
<clears throat> so this, you know, obviously it does, has done a lot of damage, but I would say we can go the other direction. You see, to obsess about it, I think, is not what Jesus wants for us. But on the other end, I think all of us, and I would say all of us with quite with, with boldness, at some point in time in our life have been on the opposite extreme where we've neglected to think about the return of Christ. That we live away in this life that we worry about the temporary things, that we worry about this world, that we worry about the things that so easily ensnare us in this world, and whether it's success, whether it's money, whether it's power, whether it's family, whether it's all these things that are temporary, and we've forgotten that Jesus is coming back. And so we live in a way in which we feel like we've got all the time in the world to live however we want, and it doesn't really matter. And then once in a while, maybe we'll come together and think about Jesus coming again, and we sing about it once in a while. But I I would dare to say most of us on a day-to-day basis don't live with the mentality of the fact that Jesus could come back and we should be living that way. Jesus is coming back and we should be living that way. And uh, so today I'm hoping, like I said, to come to the center on this. There's going to be three questions that we're going to look at today as we go to 1 Thessalonians. We're going to be looking at three questions uh, that we need to answer that, Jesus, that, that God tells us through Paul that we need to know about, uh, about the return of Jesus. And hopefully this will keep us from these extremes that we've talked about. A uh, quick illustration, if you don't know, and I didn't announce this earlier, but Dakota is here with us for the summer. He's going to be serving with us again. If you don't know Dakota, you'll have to meet him today. Uh, he's actually living at our house, which some of you might think we're crazy, and maybe sometimes we think we are too. Um, but uh, not because he's a bad kid, but because we've already got three crazy kids. But anyway, <laughs> as way of illustration, as these questions, there's a couple questions we had to ask ourselves when Dakota was coming to stay with our house. Uh, first of all, um, we had to figure out when Dakota was going to be coming to our house. Like, okay, we're looking at our schedule. He's going to come such and such a date. And so this is, this is what we need to know, is we need to know that he's coming, and then we, we realized that we needed to figure out what we needed to do, what rooms we needed to rearrange, what we had to clean, what, we made a list, actually Felicia's a list person, she made like four sheets of a list, every little detail down to like, I don't even, it drives me nuts, but she does it and it's great. Um, we had that list going, and we knew what we needed to do before Dakota would show up, because we knew we were having somebody come. And somebody was coming to us, and so we knew when he was coming, and then we knew what we needed to do. But then it came down to the fact we needed to figure out how to do it. All right, so we need to uh, repurpose a bedroom. We need to get rid of a bunch of toys. We need to do this. We need to do that. And then we developed a plan, and we, we set out to do the plan. We, we cleaned the house, mostly. We got it ready for him to come. So when he did come, we were ready for him. And see, we asked those questions. When is he coming? What do we need to do for his when he does come, and then how do we need to get it done? And those are the three questions, actually, that we're going to look at today that I believe that we can be asking about the return of Jesus, obviously on a much bigger scale than just someone coming to your house. So the questions we can ask are seen in 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 11, and 32 through 34. So let's go there and read. That was a long introduction, but now we're to the, to the word, and let's listen. Now concerning the times and seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written of you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. When people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them, as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of the light, children of the day. We are not of the night, nor of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober." For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, 
having put on the breastplate of faith and love, for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Then Paul closes his book in a few verses down here in verse 23 as he's closing. He says this, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful and he will surely do it. So we're going to look at this passage this morning. We're going to ask these questions. So the first question we're going to ask is when is Jesus going to return? See, what do we need to know about the return of Jesus? Well, the when is the first part. And see, that's what the Thessalonian believers were starting to ask. When is this going to happen? And if you remember Matthew 24 and other passages in the, in, the, in the Gospels, the disciples, the apostles were asking the same questions. When is the end going to come? When are you going to come back? And, and, and so the Thessalonians are asking this question, and now Paul answers them with this phenomenal answer. And he says, Now concerning the times and season, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. What does he say here? He says, look, you guys don't need to know the specifics. You don't know, need to know the exact time, the exact day, exactly when Jesus is coming back. That is not what is important. That is not what you need to know. Matthew twenty four twenty six, uh, and I think that's going to be up here for us. In Matthew twenty four twenty six, we actually read what Jesus says that not only, even he doesn't know when, the, when he's going to be coming back. That the only one that knows any of the details is God the Father. God himself knows all the details and no one else will know. No one else will know the day or the hour. There is no one else who will ever be able to know. So these 153 predictions, people should have never believed any of them because if people are saying it then, and they say that they know, then it's not going to happen then because God has said the only one that knows is God the Father. And so uh, in all these predictions, we see that that's been the case. So God is the only one to know. We don't need to know. That's not what is important. And I think there's a lot of reasons for this. If we know the specific day, then what's stopping us from saying, okay, well, I'll live however I want, but then with a couple weeks left, then I'll start living for Jesus. So when he does come, he'll think, we think that way. You know? And that's, so that makes sense. We don't need to know exactly when it's going to happen. But in verse 2 and 3, we do see what we need to know about when. It says, for you, you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. When people are saying there's peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. What we do know is that the timing will be sudden. We might not know the specific timing, but we do know that it will be sudden. It's going to be when it's sudden, it's going to happen like this. It's not going to be something we're not going to, that we're going to have time to prepare for. That's really what the idea is. It's not like, okay, I know Jesus is coming, so now I've got the time to prepare for it. When it happens, it's going to happen. And we know that, that we see that. We also uh, see that idea of a thief. It's also in 1 Peter 3.10, if you ever wanted to look that up. And I would say in, the, in your outline today, there are a lot of verses. We're not going to read them all, but I would encourage you to go and study them for yourselves. Jesus will come like a thief. We've seen that here. We also see it in 1 Peter. We can see it back in Matthew as well. Here's the idea of a thief. A thief is somebody, someone who comes, suddenly takes your stuff, and leaves. A thief comes in, they steal, they leave, it's sudden, and the other thing it is is unexpected, which would be the next thing. The timing will be sudden, but the timing will also be unexpected. 
See, that's what we talk about when we talk about a thief. They're going to come suddenly, and it's going to be unexpected. We're not going to be ready for the thief if we're not watching. And, and just like a thief would do that. Now, we have a personal illustration of this. When we went down to Disney for the very first time, we stayed outside in a, in a hotel out in Orlando, and we went swimming for about 15 to 20 minutes. We were swimming in the pool. We left our room we thought we locked our door. We still think we did. But anyway, we go swimming. We come back, and we find our door is ajar, and computer, backpack, wallet, lots of stuff stolen. Within 15 minutes, suddenly, boom, all of our vacation savings, all of those things that we brought with us, our, very, our laptop that we brought with us, all that gone in an instant. And of course, it was totally unexpected. We didn't know how to handle it, and we were caught unaware. And that is exactly what this idea of Jesus, when he returns, coming as a thief, it's going to be sudden, it's going to be unexpected, it's not something that we're going to be able to see from afar off and get everything lined up and ready to go. It's going to happen suddenly, and it's going to happen unexpectedly. And really, what it says here, as far as being unexpected, in verse 3, verse 3 says... Uh, while people are saying there's peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. The idea here is that uh, it's when normal life is peaceful and secure. Whenever, when we're starting to say to ourselves, everything's good, we're all set, we're living this life and it's a good life, when everything is peaceful and we feel secure and we feel like everything is going well, that's when Jesus is going to come back. Because let's think about it. When we're feeling that way, we are the most... Re- we are unready for any unexpected thing to happen and so he says that but he also says that jesus himself says that back in matthew 24 and i want to turn there this morning real quickly matthew chapter 24 jesus himself talks about this idea of being an unexpected time when things are going well jesus will come and the end of the earth will come as a result of his return and we see in matthew chapter 24 this is where he talks about it in verses 37 through 39 Matthew 24, 37 through 39. He says, For as were the days of Noah, so will the coming of the Son of Man. For in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Jesus makes it very clear that just like in Noah's day, they were going on with life and life was good and everything in their mind was wonderful. There was peace, security, and they had their plans all set to go. And God said, no, because of your wickedness, I'm going to flood the earth. And nobody listened to Noah because they were living a life that they thought was what it needed to be. The same thing is going to be true of the return of Christ. And how often do we see that to be true, that people are sitting around thinking everything is good, we are secure, we are peaceful, we are good. And yet, that's when the unexpected will happen and when Jesus will return. All right, so that's the timing. And and so really what Paul says is don't worry about the specifics, but know that it's going to be sudden and it's going to be unexpected. And live like that is the case, because it is. But once we realize that Jesus could return at any time and it will be sudden, we as Christians then need to ask the second question. We need to make sure we are prepared for when it happens, just like we need to prepare for Dakota's coming. Uh, so what should we do to prepare for Jesus' return is the next question. 1 Thessalonians 5, 3-11 answers this question for us. We already read verse 3 uh, and verse 4. But we'll start back there again in verse 3. While people are saying there's peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them. As labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. 
But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day will not surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain a salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. So what should we do to prepare for the return of Jesus? Since we know it's going to be sudden, it's going to be unexpected, we're not going to be necessarily ready for it to happen at that point. So how do we prepare? Because Jesus also said back in Matthew 24, look, if you know a thief is coming, you know to set up and wait. You know, if you know the thief is coming, you can set up and watch for that thief to come, and so you can be ready to stop him. And and, and so in the same idea, we can be prepared, since we know that Jesus is coming. And that's the whole point here. What should we do to prepare? Well, we need to be awake and ready. In verses 3 through 6, it talks about this idea of being awake, being ready for him to return. Uh, Not sleeping, not forgetting, not being in a spiritual slumber. If you will, we need to be ready for his return and we need to be living for his return. We know it's coming, so it shouldn't catch us by surprise. Christians should not be surprised when Jesus comes back because we know he said he is and we know he said it's going to happen suddenly and we know he said it's going to happen unexpectedly to the world. So when it happens, it shouldn't catch us by surprise. We should know that he's coming and live in a way that shows that we are ready and awake and we are watching for his coming, that we're not forgetting about it basically. We are not taking it for granted. We are not neglecting his coming like so many of us can do. The next thing we see in verses 6 through 8 is that we must be sober. This word sober uh, is not just saying, and then he talks about being drunk. Okay, this is not a passage about alcohol abuse. Uh, Now, he's using this as an illustration. The idea of sober is to be self-controlled. It's to have self-control. It's to be living a life in which we are controlling our impulses, controlling where our sinful temptations that we are finding, we are finding self-control under the power of Christ, and we are living in that way. The world is the opposite. The thing we see here is self-control is contrary to the world. Titus 3, 11 through 14 would tell us the same thing. See, this world's concept right now, and it's not a big word anymore, but this is what people believe. It's YOLO, if you've heard that. You only live once, so just do whatever you want and live life to the fullest. And the thing is, that is the opposite of what God is calling us to do as we wait for the return of Christ. We are called to be sober. We are called to be self-controlled. We are called to show our faith and to be controlling of those impulses and not just let let it run free because we only live once. That's not how we should view life, especially in light of Christ's return. And finally, we must be living godly lives, verses 8 through 11. We must be living with faith, hope, and love. We see those three things that are mentioned here. Uh, We see the breastplate of faith and love, and then we see a helmet of the hope of salvation. Um, As we remember that next verse in verse 9, for God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, we know that Jesus has saved us from the wrath that is to come, and therefore that can give us great hope, and it allows us to have great faith, and it allows us to have great love, not only for God, but for others. And as we exhibit these three things, faith, love, and hope, that is really encapsulating what the Christian life is all about, that we live a life of faith in Christ, that we live a life of hope 
in his return, that we live a life of love both for him and for others. And so we were called to do that as we wait for the return, that we live with faith, we live in hope, and we live with love. Those are the things we're called to do, and that, of course, goes along with being self-controlled. But then the other thing that he throws in here at the end in verse 11, he says, Therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. And so what Paul says is, look, what I just told you is pretty important. What I just told you is that you don't need to know when he's coming, but you do know it's going to be sudden. You know it's going to be unexpected. So get ready for it. Live in a way that says you're ready for him to come. Be awake, be sober, be ready. And understand that God has saved you so that you don't have to face that wrath. So you don't have to worry about that. And as you understand all that, then in verse 11 he says, make sure you encourage one another with these words. Make sure you encourage one another to know that Jesus is coming. And so therefore we can all live a life in which we are being awake and sober and that we are living a life of faith, hope, and love. So my encouragement to you this morning is to make sure you're living a life of faith, hope, and love. That I'm living a life of faith, hope, and love. That we are living a life, a self-controlled life that is ready for Jesus to return. And so we encourage one another, but here's the obvious thing, and I know this is going to make me sound like a broken record, and I'm not going to apologize for it because I think this is important. You can't encourage one another unless you're with one another. That just makes sense. You can't encourage somebody that you don't talk to. That makes sense. So part of this idea is, is as the day is coming, as we see the return of Christ coming, we need to be with one another, encouraging one another. And the other passage that talks about this, and we've looked at this passage from, I know, several times, even just from here as I've preached, but Hebrews chapter 10 actually talks about why we should be together, why we should gather together in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10, looking at verse 24. Actually, uh, <clears throat> yeah, it says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You see, the writer of Hebrews says the exact same things that, that Paul is saying in First Thessalonians. He's saying, look, the day is drawing near. The return of Christ is coming. How do we live in that? Well, we live in a Christian life where we encourage one another by being with one another. And unfortunately, I think in our society and in our church, we're actually seeing people meeting less often as we're getting closer and closer to the return of Christ because each day that goes by is closer to the return. That makes sense, right? So we should be desiring to be with one another, to encourage one another. It says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Notice that this isn't a suggestion. This is God saying, don't do it. Don't neglect your assembling. And so I would strongly encourage us as we look to the return of Christ that we remember that it's not just about us, it's about us. And as we realize that that is about the church, we encourage one another. That is what Jesus wants us to do as we get ready for his return, is to be with one another. And so my prayer and my hope is that all of us will understand that and make it a priority to be here because we don't know when Jesus is coming back and he wants us to be with one another and we should do what he asks us to do. So those are some of the things that we know we should do to return or to get ready for Jesus' return. But since we know that Jesus is coming at any time and we know now that we need to be prepared in certain ways, we also need to understand how we're going to go about this preparing. How do we go about living a self-controlled life? How do we go about living a life that's awake? How do we go about living a Christian life in which we are in fellowship with one another? How does that work? Well, 
in 1 Thessalonians 5, 32 through 34, we get an idea here. 32 through 34. And I am, wow, 23 through 20. That's bad. That's not the first time I said this. Nobody corrected me yet. That's all right. 23 and 24, because there is no 32 through 34. So uh, 23. Uh, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, and he will surely do it. I'm going to hit three points here in this third question pretty quickly because they all correspond together. We see three things in this passage, in these two verses. We see, A, we must be holy. We need to be set apart. We need to be holy. If you don't know what that means, it means we're set apart to God, set apart from the world. Not that we don't live in the world, but that we live a different life, that it is holy, that it is separate. God ultimately is the most holy, right? And he is separate from the world, and he is somebody we can't even really understand completely because he's so holy. And we are called here, it says, to be sanctified. To be sanctified means to be made holy. That's exactly what we need to, if we want to prepare, we need to be making sure we're setting ourselves apart. Morally, we're setting ourselves apart as we trust Jesus instead of ourselves. That is how we set ourselves apart. We also must be blameless, verse 23 says. Not only are we to be sanctified or to be made holy, but we also need to be blameless. Blameless is all about purity, that we need to be doctrinally and morally pure. We need to be pure in the way we live, pure in the way we believe and the way we think. And it's not just about sexuality. It's about being pure in everything, that we are thinking about the things that are pure and good and right and not being polluted by the things that are sinful, the things that are wrong to think about, that we are being pure. So we need to be holy. We need to be pure. But all, both of those things require this third one. We cannot be holy. We cannot be blameless without this third thing that we need to do when we're getting ready for Jesus' return, and that is to be surrendered. Why do I say that? Well, these verses are pretty clear. These verses say this. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. We've gotten to this point and maybe some of you are thinking, man, this is a tall order. How are we supposed to live in a way that we know Jesus is coming back? How can we do this? We can't. It's too hard. How can we live a perfectly self-controlled life? How can we live a life in which we're always remembering that he could come and that we're always alert and awake? How can we uh, make sure that we're fellowshipping with each other one enough? This is hard. This is, I don't know how I can do it. Here's what I'm going to say is you can't. You can't be holy. You can't be blameless. You can't be truly living a Christian life of faith, hope, and love. And you can't live a life of self-control. You can't live a life in which you are ready for Jesus' return. You can't. It's not possible in your own strength. This is the encouragement that I think we can get. Because up to this point, it could sound like a sermon that I'm trying to say, you need to shape up because Jesus is coming back. That's partially true. But the truth of the scripture is this. If we surrender our lives to Jesus Christ, he will sanctify us. He will make us blameless. And what we're told right here, it is that it is he that is faithful 
and he will surely do it. We are going to fail. We are going to be faithless. We are going to make mistakes, and we are not going to live in the way we should as we look to Christ's return. But yet if we surrender ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ, he will sanctify us, and he will make us blameless, and he will prepare us for his coming. But we need to be open. We need to be willing. We need to be letting him in. We can't be running our own lives and thinking that my life is, is mine. My life is not mine. If we are Christians, our lives are his. And we live a life in which we are his. And therefore, we will find ourselves having more self-control. We will find ourselves being more ready for his return. We will be finding ourselves more ready and more willing and more wanting to be with one another if we will first surrender our whole lives to God himself, to Jesus who is calling us to do that. And so ultimately, if we want to be prepared for the return of Jesus, it's not a list of do's and don'ts. It's not that list my wife made for when we were getting ready for Dakota. You can make that list, but you're never going to complete it. It's almost like making that list and then having like a cleaning service come to our house and just ripping the list up and doing it all for us, because that's what Jesus is doing. Jesus is going to change your life if you'll just let him. If you just let him come in, he will change your life and prepare you for his coming. But unfortunately, a lot of us fight it. So that's where we, we get to this point of we ask these three questions. When? Well, suddenly and unexpectedly. Well, then what should we do? Well, we should live soberly. We should live away, awake and ready for him to come. And we should live godly lives with one another. And then how do we do it? Well, we live holy and blameless lives through the power of Jesus Christ. And if we can do these things, then we'll be re- ready for his return. And so... This world that is obsessed with when is Jesus coming back? I'm going to be bold and say this. If you find yourself where you are just for curiosity's sake constantly trying to figure out when Jesus is coming back, that is not the point. Jesus says, I'm coming back. Live like it. Surrender your life to me and live like I'm coming back. Don't worry about when. Don't worry about how. Don't even obsess about all the ins and outs of all our finer points of eschatology but I'm coming back and I'm expecting you to surrender your life and live like I'm coming back. That's what Jesus wants us to know. So that leads us to our conclusion this morning. Are we ready for the return of Jesus? Are we ready for the return of Jesus? First question we've got to ask, have you committed your life to Jesus? Are you a Christian? If you haven't come to Jesus and said, Jesus, I know that I have sinned because I am, all have sinned, that I know that you lived a perfect life, that the way this world was created was perfect and yet sin came in and now I'm a part of that sin. You lived a perfect life to show that it could be done and then you gave your life for me on the cross that you died for me so that I don't have to experience hell. I don't have to experience death. I can live forever with you even now and forevermore, and you come to Jesus and you know that he died for you and then he rose again to say, look, it is paid. The, the, what I paid is it's been verified. I am here and you just need to follow me. If you have not come to Jesus and said, I want to follow you and I want to give you my life. I want to commit my life to you because of your death, your resurrection that you have done for us. Make today the day you do that. Because here's the thing, you're not going to be ready for his return if you don't even know him. You're going to be caught unexpected. You're going to be the the one in the darkness. You're going to be the one that's drunk when he comes back. You're going to be the one that is going to be devastated at his return instead of having a blessing of his return. And so come to Jesus today. Commit your life to him. And if you want to know any more about that, talk to myself, 
somebody who you know here that knows Jesus, one of our elders, whoever. We'd love to share with you what you can do, how you can know that Jesus is your Savior. Second question, though, is for for, for those of us who do know Jesus. Does your life reflect your readiness for Jesus to return? I want you to really ask this question because I I have been. And I've come to the conclusion that most days I don't. Do I really live a life that reflects my readiness for Jesus to return? Are my priorities right? Have I got what is important in life? Am I looking for the eternal things? Am I living for the eternal things? Am I living for what glorifies God? Or am I living for what makes me comfortable? Am I living for what makes me happy? Am I living for what makes it life easy for me? Or planning ahead, whatever it might be, and if it's all about me and not about him, then my priorities are all off, and if he returns, he's going to find a selfish guy trying to figure out what he wants to figure out for his own life, and that is not what we're called to be. So does your life reflect your readiness for Jesus to return? Do your priorities show that you are ready for him to return and that you are more concerned about him, his glory, his return, than anything that you have in this life? It's hard. But are you reflecting that readiness? And finally, are you truly surrendered to Jesus? It goes back to that last question we asked. Well, if your priorities aren't right, then odds are you're not really fully surrendered to Jesus. If we are living a life that is self-driven, where we are looking to ourselves for our meaning, looking to others for our meaning, uh, or if we're trying to do this all in our own strength, Say, I'm going to be ready for Jesus' return. I'm going to do this, 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 and that. And I'm going to serve in the church as much as I can. And we get legalistic about it. And we say, if I fulfill this checklist, then Jesus is going to be ready. Or I'm going to be ready for Jesus when he comes back. He's going to be so proud of me. And look at, look at me. Look what I've done, Jesus. That's not the point. Have you, are you truly surrendered to him? Have you said, look, I can't do anything to really be ready. I am completely and utterly useless, really. I need you. Have you come to him and said, I need you? Because if we're not surrendered to Jesus, then we're not ready for his return. And we're going to be caught unexpected. We're going to be caught like that thief comes. And all our stuff and everything that we thought was important is going to be stripped away unless we've surrendered to Christ and we know it's truly important. So that is my encouragement this morning. We're going to sing a final song, and it's even so come, Lord Jesus, come. And how appropriate. But as we sing that song, don't just sing the words because... A, they're up on the screen. Let's sing the words and think about what we're singing. As we ask for Jesus to come, it's not so that our curiosity can be satisfied. It's not so that we can brag about the fact that, oh, we got taken and you got left behind. It's about Jesus as you're coming. Help me to remember that so that my life reflects it. So let us all stand and we'll sing.